Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Got to keep that thought away. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Wow, that kid really has something. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I love watching you play. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I'm doing it right for a change. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about where did this kid come from? I like this as a companion piece. It's about parenting kids who are nothing like us. We have another episode that's called What to Do When They're Just Like You. That's episode 39, and I'm going to put it in the show notes for this episode. Right where you're listening, you can tap and listen to that one also. Because that was good advice when you have shockingly similar behavior in your kids that drives you nuts because it's exactly yours. This is the opposite. I had an ex once. Tell me if you think this is true. Who told me that the things that drive you crazy most in other people are the things that are most like you. Like your kids drive you crazy when they're most like you. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to take the other side of that and say that my kids drive me craziest when their behaviors are most baffling and unfamiliar to me, which doesn't make them wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't make them wrong that they're unfamiliar. The way they do things is different than me. I feel like I'm learning this like every day of my life in every way. Different is not worse. It's just different. This is true for my kids, too. Yeah. I mean, I guess we're just coming to the fact that like our kids drive us batty, whether they're like us or completely opposite of us. Right. It's all horrible. (laughs) It's all horrible, guys. All right. That's the episode. Great talking to you. But when you don't get where your kid is coming from, and I think we all have this in like little ways and big ways, when our kid is not like us, there's times when it's exciting, like I'm kind of a shy person and my kid is super friendly and can talk to everyone, or like I am completely uncoordinated and my kid's on the all-state gymnastics team. Those are times when our kid sort of being far from us is something exciting. But then there's the opposite be can be true as well, that you know, I'm the most outgoing person in the world and my kid won't even look at people or, you know, I loved being in plays and my kid cries if she has to read out loud in front of the whole class. And that can feel a little scary and getting stuck in figuring out why our kids are like that and how we can fix them can be a problem, I think. Yeah. And I think it's a mixed bag like most things with kids, because I do find that 
one of the things, you know, I had my first kid at 37, so I had a lot of my adulthood child free. And one of the things that I like about having kids is like they just open up all these doors that were not available to me before then or that I was not availing myself of. Maybe they were available to me. But like I always think like I'm at a pumpkin patch on a Saturday. Like it's so fun to be here and I wouldn't be here if I wasn't here with my kids. And I think sometimes like I am walking this new personality through the world in the form of my kids is another interesting extension of that like new open doors thing. So there are definitely positives to it. Yeah, except your kid is like your heart walking around outside your body, right? And the things that are tough for them. Oh, the stakes are pretty high. We can worry about the ways that their lives will be hard. We can overthink it, I think. When a kid is not like us, we think, but you have to be like us because if you don't keep your papers in one place, then you're never going to be able to get through ninth grade. And that's not necessarily true. Like I have a kid who is extremely disorganized and gets A's. Like, I don't know how both of those things are true, but they are. And I've realized carefully over time, like, I have to let go of my sort of color-coded expectations for how to be organized. That is a source of friction between us. And there needs to be more organization than zero. But it isn't like, if you don't do it like me, life will not work out for you. Well, yeah, because a lot of that stuff that you have about yourself, I mean, you, Amy, and I mean, you, everyone on earth, is kind of an illusion of control that you have put on top of your life to feel better. And so when your kid does not do it as well, I mean, there are some practical things like you don't want to go out with your homework every day. But a lot of the things that were like, I control things by doing these things, it's a bit of an illusion. Yeah, I guess it is. Well, it helps me function better to be organized and know where everything is. And my kids certainly expect me to know where everything is and where everybody's supposed to be. But yeah, like my concern that they need to figure this out by next week or else has sometimes been misplaced. Yeah, and I just think there is something so lizard brain fundamental about this idea that what you are creating in a child is a small better version of yourself and that it has been such a revelation to me as a parent that what I created was just a human with their own thoughts and ideas and ways of doing things that like my idea of like a lump of clay another chance at life here I come again but I won't make any of the same mistakes like my child will be x y and z my child turns out to want to be d z and q and that is a very fundamental and difficult and like how many thousands of movies have we seen about like the like militaristic father who has like the artsy kid and like it all goes terribly wrong like having the expectation that your child is somehow an extension of yourself it doesn't go that great well yeah and our behaviors as parents can affect kids outcomes. Like, this is why this matters, right? Clearly, this is a thing that we all have kids who are like, whoa, where did this kid come from? But like, when it becomes a problem is when we think that it's our job to clamp down on or encourage or sort of change the way they're wired so that their outcomes will be better. That can be counterproductive. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Okay, lay it on me. I think we can start to push back on the things in our children that aren't familiar and potentially hamper them. And I'm talking both things. I'm talking like, oh, I have a kid who thought he wanted to audition for the school play because I thought he wanted to audition for the school play. (laughs) And 
I would have loved to be in school plays when I was in middle school. And this is a wonderful opportunity. And this part is perfect for you. And I thought that my job was when this kid was expressing reticence about auditioning over and over again, that my job was to say, no, you can do it. No, you're going to be amazing. No, don't you see it's going to be so much fun. No, 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 don't be silly. Right. And then finally, like day of my kid had to come to me sort of hat in hand and say, like, I can't do this. I can't. You know, I was up in the night worried about this. Like, this is just not something I could do. And on top of all of that was this, I could see it was weighing on this child that they were going to let me down by not doing what I thought they should be doing because what do you mean it's going to be amazing? And so, of course, I let the kid off the hook. The kid did not audition. Like, life goes on without being in the play. But my expectations that they should do this certain thing became another burden on this kid. And I never meant for that to happen. And it's in the end, like, by the way, this was like, there have been no ramifications of this, but I can see how this can happen by that, like one example of myself where I... And it's also in your case, is in my case, I went through a similar thing with my kid. It's kind of an unfulfilled potential in your own life, right? Like, you're an actress, you're like, oh my God, acting is important and great. And I wanted to do it. And I want you to do it because then we'll be in this together. It's deep. It's about a lot of stuff. That exactly. So in my case, my grade school never did plays. And here's the reason why, because Sister Adele was in charge of the plays. And every year, like in January, she cast the play. And one year it was the Tracers of Lost Parts of Speech. It was a detective story with parts of speech. Oh, my. And I was adjective blue. Where is this going? I had lines. I had a solo in one of the songs. I can still sing you the song. I'll spare you. But let's just say I have full recall for the traces of lost parts of speech. Thank you for sparing us. Anyway, every year, about two weeks before the play, Sister Adele's mother would get sick and she'd have to leave town and go see her mother and the play would be canceled. This happened like three years in a row. And me, like picture me, like I have my tap shoes on and my like suitcase in hand. I am ready to hit the big time. And every year that opportunity was taken away from me. And my parents, who never, you know, actually my dad was in his high school play, but my parents had no yearnings for trotting the stage. And I did. Like, I came out of nowhere for them. And I never got to do this stuff until I was in high school. So, yes, it was for me when my kids get to do these beautiful middle school plays with bands and lights and sets and costumes. We live in New York City. Like, we have access to people who can do this stuff with one eye closed and it's so it's a beautiful production the idea that they would not want to do it like it was the 11 year old in me that was outraged it wasn't their mother it was the child in me it was like no 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 you have to do this because i couldn't and it's so silly but it's true can i just say that we need a serial style mystery unraveled podcast series that gets into what the heck was going on with sister Adele's mom. I mean, it made me so mad. And why she only got sick two weeks before the play. Yeah, exactly. Every year. And what was really happening there. That is not a normal story. This podcast was supposed to be about, you know, different kids, but instead it became an airing of grievances against sister Adele. But I want to get to the bottom. I don't think she was that sick. That's what I'm saying. I think she just was lonely. Right. What was going on? The mom was not actually getting sick two weeks before the play every year. I think they had, yeah. All right, coming soon. We'll get one of the big (laughs) podcast companies on that. I'm going to start another show on this network. Because everybody wants to know what was really happening. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sister Adele's mother, a reckoning. The true story. Yeah, but it was, right. So it's all about the kid in me. It's all about settling scores for the unfinished things of my childhood. And what do you mean you don't want to do that? 
course we all get this this is all the like college football guy who didn't make the playoffs who wants his kid to be the college quarterback but the kid really wants to be a fashion designer like it happens again and again like everybody you know having kind of unfulfilled dreams or having dreams for your own kids or like Whatever it is, this story repeats throughout history. You're sort of missing the kid in front of you while you're trying to create the kid you thought you were going to have. And that, like, that's not good, right? Like, there are a lot of grown-ups walking around who can talk about how they felt like they were letting their parents down, that they weren't on the football team or they weren't a great piano player or whatever. Like, our disappointment in our kids can be clear to them, can come across. And so I think we really have to sort of play against that, like making it worse by making them think that we wish they were different. Yeah. I mean, the Instagram card version of this is parent the kid you have, not the kid you want. Like if you parent the kid you want, you're not going to end up in a happy home. You got to parent the kid you have. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you parent, if you're constantly searching and this is a thing that like, I will say, I feel like When you talk about this in broad strokes, it's very easy to be like, oh, well, you wanted X and you got Y and too bad and blah, blah, blah. This can get very profound. You know, I mean, there's a beautiful essay by a mom. I'll have to look it up and we'll put it in the show notes about a mom of a special needs kid that a lot of people have read. And it's about like it's called Going to Holland. And it's like Welcome to Holland. It's called Welcome to Holland. And so she has packed her bags in her mind for Paris, you know, in Italy. And she's going and so excited to land in Italy, meaning she thinks she's going to have a typical child. And then she ends up having a child with special needs. And she's like, I'm in Holland now and I wanted to be in Italy. And all I'm thinking about is like the pasta and seeing the Leaning Tower of Pisa. But if I spend my whole life missing Italy, I'm going to miss the beautiful things about Holland. I'm choking up just talking about it. The tulips and the windmills and stuff. And it's like, I think that's so much of what we're getting at is like seeing the child you have, but also acknowledging that like making that change in your mind is difficult and challenging. Right. And not everything is this serious, right? Like my kid is nothing like me because he like runs wild and I always sat nice when I was little. My mother tells me like there are ways in which this is little and minor and not earth shattering. But I think we can... This is one of those cases where you can start with the really big when the differences are really big and sort of extrapolate from that stuff that's useful to us in the little everyday ways that our kids are exasperatingly unfamiliar. For sure. Let's take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about the research on kids who are very, very different from their parents and how that relationship can play out. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. 
Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. So there was a book written on this topic called Far From the Tree. You read it, right, Margaret? Oh, guys, if you have not read Far From the Tree, I'm... It's a great book. It's so beautiful. It's extremely, extremely long. And that's the only thing I will say about it. Like 800 pages long, yes. It can feel very intimidating to pick it up, but it's the kind of book that, like, put it on your nightstand and you can read a chapter a month almost, you know? And it's such... I found it, like, we talk on the podcast, like, those scales falling from your eyes like revelation moments about what it is actually really like to be a parent and I think for me I've talked about this before but like I think a lot of the anxiety I have around parenting is like got to keep that thought away something might be wrong and like turning around and facing what's really hard can be so freeing and this book is about people in all sorts of different situations, some of them in very, very difficult situations. And it's just an incredible set of insights into the true nature of parenting. I could not recommend it more highly. Okay, so it won the Pulitzer Prize for nonfiction. It's a very like serious reported book. I want to give you the full title. It's Andrew Solomon is the author, and the book is called Far From the Tree, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity. And I agree with you that it's something you can kind of like dip in and out of. Two things from this very serious book. This is about when your kid is autistic and you're not, when your kid is transgender and you're not. You know, like the difficulties of that kid being far from you in their very existence. Right. They have a fundamental, he talks about like vertical identities and horizontal identities and like how most of us are, you know, that you have these closely tied identities. And then a child, for example, who is deaf has an, a deaf identity that is completely unshared by you and how that plays out in really interesting ways. So there are two things in this that I think are that are sort of useful. So if I'm a hearing parent and I have a deaf kid and I have learned nothing about the deaf community, I know nothing about it. And now I have a kid who's in that community. And as you said, like that will be part of their identity in wonderful ways. Right. But as a parent, it can be difficult when your kid is different from you in a way that will probably stigmatize them in a way that at least from where you're standing will make their life more difficult. And the isolation that you fear that they are going to suffer and the isolation that you are already suffering because of your worry and your uncertainty can become the problem, can be almost a worse problem than my kid can't hear, than is the worry and the fear and the what will become of this child that can result. And so there's a lot of talking about that in the book. 
Yeah, and I think that's worth like stopping on for a moment because it's such an important thing to underscore whether you are dealing with something as large as you are hearing and your child is deaf or just you are really into football and your kid couldn't care less. Like the idea, how much energy you pour into worrying about the difference and underscoring the difference has a huge effect on how this plays out. There's a Buddhist saying that the suffering is in the gap. Have you heard of this? Yes, exactly what this is about. There's a gap between the way you want things to be and the way things are in your life, whatever the situation is. And in that gap is where the suffering exists. And if you can accept the gap and not wish it away or wish it were different, then you will live a more enlightened life. And of course, that's something that even the most enlightened monk spends every moment of every day doing is trying to accept suffering, accept the gap and not try to wish it away. But it occurs to me that that's what we're talking about in this situation, that your kid is different from you is not necessarily something you need to fix. Yeah, the gap that I think when I talk about like turning around and staring at the scary thing, that scary thing that we're talking about today is the gap, you know, Mm -hmm. and that we have this feeling that kids are this, they're like our arm, you know, but they're not our arm. They're a person who lives outside of us. And like, I feel like we put a lot of anxiety into like, I'm disconnected from my child and that staring into that disconnect and understanding it and Over time, moving from a completely dependent infant into a successful adult who lives outside of yourself is a huge challenging thing that we're trying to talk about today. The other thing about this Far From the Tree book that sort of was true, I read an interview with him. He was on Fresh Air, and I read the transcript of the interview, so I'll put that in the show notes too. Andrew Solomon, she said, well, wasn't it hard for you to write this book about people who are parenting kids who are going to have tough lives for all these different situations and the parents weren't really ready to handle it and how do you handle that? And then you decided to become a parent. Wasn't that really scary for you? And he said, not at all, because time after time, the parents that he talked to had moved, you know, like your kid starts expressing that they're transgender when they're two. That's scary. That might be far from the tree for you. But that parent 25 years later is in a very different place. Like he talked to a parent who had ended up spending her whole life helping other families with kids with Down syndrome, helping them understand it, helping Down syndrome people get jobs. And she was like, this has given my life meaning. Like this isn't something I would wish away or have be different. And of course, there are things in his life that have been hard, but it's become our lives in the most wonderful way. And I would never wish a moment of this away. And so he was like, what I've learned from these parents is that over time, they're not afraid at all. And they don't wish this was different at all, no matter what it is. And I thought that was incredible. This is the incredible gift and takeaway of this book is that even if you don't necessarily have a child who you would identify as like, as he describes far, obviously the expression is the apple doesn't fall (laughs) far from the tree. Sometimes they do. Right. And like the book's thesis is like, what happens when the apple falls quite far from the tree? And even if you don't have a child that you would identify as being far from your tree, who has a sort of like, okay, I can actually write in the blank space what their difference is from our family or from myself. The book is still so insightful on this thing of like, 
how it turns out is the ride you're on. And like this book purged me of so much anxiety and fear because of exactly what Amy's saying, which is like this idea that like, but if it doesn't all go perfectly, I'm a failure as a parent and everything in my life will turn dark and miserable. In fact, the lesson of the book is quite different from that, that like whatever happens with your child is the journey that you guys are on. And like, it's just a very kind of accepting, beautiful thing. And then in some ways, walking the straightest path through life, there's a golfer whose name is Ernie Els, and he and his wife have a child with autism who is nonverbal and has, you know, a lot going on that's quite difficult. And I read an interview with the mom and she said it in such a beautiful way that she was saying like, They founded this school and they work with all of these families with kids with, you know, very profound autism who struggle and like their life is now kind of partially devoted to this world. And she's like, I'm wealthy. You know, she's a very attractive woman. I'm married to this very successful golfer. And she's like, I now realize that my life could have just been this kind of easy walk through this like very calm wood. And instead, we took this detour that I would have held away from myself with everything I had if I could have chosen not to have it. But instead, it's put us on this much more profound path. And my life has more meaning than it would have ever had in the calm wood. And like, it sounds a little pablumy, but it's so deep. Well, let's flip it around. Let's talk about when your kid, the way that they're nothing like you, is a way that's remarkable to you and that maybe you're a little daunted by it, but it is something that is clearly there that you just don't know like where it fell from out of the sky. Like a prodigy. Yeah, like a prodigy or just I'm thinking of like one of my kids is an extremely They've always been able to talk very well for their age. They've always been able to talk to adults much better than their age. And this child moves through the world with much more grace and openness than I have. And adults who meet this child are always like, wow, that kid really has something. Like this kid just has sort of like a people power that they walk through the world with that I don't have. I'm a little more retiring and I'm a performer, which sounds completely contradictory, but that's actually quite common, you know, with performers that in real life, you're kind of shy and wait your turn. But not this kid. This kid is just kind of just really charismatic. And it's a gift that I see and I admire and I'm in awe of. Do your kids have a thing like that? That's like, I don't know where it came from, but I love it. Yeah, all my kids have that. I mean... Daily and in big and small ways, like for sure. I mean, I've just been so struck as a parent how different it was than I thought in terms of like, oh, I'll make a human in this way. And it's like, oh, you're just along for the ride. Like you're really not at the helm of the boat. You're just watching another boat and like trying to yell out some things and be like, you might want to tack left, but you're just watching another boat. You're not at the helm. There's actually a study that will make you feel better about this. Like if you're the stereotype, as you say, is like the great Santini who's like hitting the basketball against the back of his kid's head because he's not tough enough and the parent wants him to be tough and he's not. Let me just stop you there, Amy, and call an oldie locks alert on the great Santini. (laughs) Back in my day. That is a movie that came out like 30 years ago about a dad who's what is he, a coach? Pat Conroy, who wrote The Prince of Tides and he wrote the Pat Conroy 
wrote like eight books that were all about a really, really like mean, you know, patriarch sort of ruining his kids' lives because sadly that's what he lived. He might have been working something out. Yeah. Yeah. And so his books are quite compellingly about that topic again and again. But this book is great. Great Santini. It's a little bit uh, old, but it's it holds up. But what is the dad? He's a coach or like a. Yeah. But basically the dad is like this hugely military. Right. He was a military guy, and yeah, and he's just disappointed in all his kids that they're not like super tough <laughs> like he is. But you know, it can go the other way, right? Where you have a kid who's like an incredible athlete, and you're not, and you're like, I don't know where this came from, and then you can start to feel bad. Well, there are two things that can happen. Either you're like, what do you, play football, don't be silly. And then, you know, then they miss their calling or you're taking them to the football game, but you have no idea how to help with this. And you feel bad that you're holding them back, that you don't know. You can't participate in this fully. You barely even understand what they're talking about, that that can actually be better for the kid. I have a study for you. All right. Lay it on me. So Nicole Lavoy, get ready for this. She's from the University of Minnesota's Tucker Center for Research on Girls and Women in Sports. You should go there. You would love it there. Let's all move there. (laughs) Just you. I don't want to go. She did a study that found that kids who believe their parents view them as competent athletes are more likely to stick with it than kids whose parents don't, which is obvious, right? Like they'll keep going if they think their parents think they're good. But the kids are more likely to think that their parents think they're good if their parents aren't coaching them from the sidelines or giving them a lot of advice. So yeah, because I was going to say like, this is a spectrum, like you want them to think they're good. But if you're like, Football's the only thing that matters. They're going to hate football. Like, there's a tricky middle there. I guess it's not even that they're like going to go on to be professional athletes, but that the how a adult will perceive their childhood sports experience as having been good. The biggest factor is, did my parent think I was good while I was playing? And so she argues that if you're the kind of parent who, she says, those of us who duck when a ball is thrown in our direction may find it easier to simply celebrate the best moments of a game and not enumerate the ways a child needs to improve before next week. Well, that's a big thing. And like, yeah, Glennon Doyle, who's married to Abby Wambach. I don't know how you say her name. Wambach. Yeah, Wambach. Soccer player. She just wrote a piece about this, about like how her wife after soccer games is like, you did a great job. She's not like, actually, you hit it with the foot on this angle and it makes you better. Like that we've talked about it before in the podcast at this study that says the most effective thing you can say to your kids when they come off of a sports field is I love watching you play. Not like you could be better if you did X, Y and Z. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I get a little squirrely around the concept. I feel like this is illusion of control a little bit, too, though, like a million studies that are like, these are the things that make your kid into like, are we still trying to get at how to make them a better athlete? That's not super interesting to me. You know what I mean? No, no, you're trying to get at them having a positive sports experience in their lives, which is actually probably not becoming a professional athlete. I think it's <laughs> That's the problem. far less likely that Tiger Woods has had a positive sports experience. I mean, he has and has not, right? Or like Simone Biles. I don't know. It, that's a, But we're not necessarily talking about that. We're talking about creating a kid who grows up to be like, oh, yeah, I loved playing baseball growing up. Right, because we're playing the numbers and we're saying that your kid is not going to grow up to be in the Olympics or play professional sports. 
We're not even talking about that. We're just talking about like when a kid comes home. So I have a high school kid who's really into ultimate Frisbee. Okay, like that's a niche sport, right? My kid has found that. My kid loves it with every fiber of his being. And I actually looked up an article on like, what do you do if your kid is really good at ultimate Frisbee? Like, how do you support them? And it was a, the article was basically like, go to the games, show up and cheer and tell other, you know, people in your kid's presence that you love watching them play and they're really good at ultimate Frisbee. Because of course, usually people are like, what? It sounds like Quidditch or something. It sounds really strange. And like, that's part of playing ultimate Frisbee. You have to really not care what people think if they think it's cool or not. But the one thing you can do for your kid is show up and tell them that you're proud of them. And it's okay if I don't understand, you know, every nuance. I certainly can. He wants me to throw with him and I can't even. It's like trying to like throw to, you know, an NFL quarterback. I cannot help my kid except by showing up and cheering and saying you're doing a great job and having no other expectations, which is, it turns out, the best way to make sure they have a happy life. So I'm doing it right for a change. Good job. You're just tapping out and that's (laughs) going to work out perfect. All right. We'll be right back. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. (laughs) But all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. And now, how to predict exactly what kind of child you'll get. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. You and your spouse are both vegans, and you instill in your child a love of sustainable plant-based eating. One day, a neighbor will take your kid to a hockey tournament. They'll stop at McDonald's on the way home, and your kid will eat a Big Mac. It'll all be downhill from there. 
Your husband played semi-pro basketball in Europe, and you were on the college track team. You can't wait to have a little future Olympian of your own. Your kid? He's really in a fortnight. No, he won't even join the soccer team that plays after school on Thursdays and doesn't even keep score. Just fortnight. But thanks. You and your partner adopt a child from a continent 6,500 miles from your home. Somehow, this child will roll her eyes at you and say, Okay, you go ahead and think that. Exactly the same way your mother used to. It's truly uncanny. Your spouse is short and comes from a family of short people. You are medium height and come from a family of medium height people. You will have two petite children and then one child who's like six foot five because maybe you had that one freakishly tall uncle. Look, we're not doctors, people. You absolutely adore your husband, but he has this one thing he does where instead of taking normal human-sized bites at mealtime, he loads up his fork like it's an industrial excavator and shoves that whole thing in his mouth all at the same time. Your children will all do this. Every single one of them. This has been How to Predict Exactly What Kind of Child You'll Get. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Okay, so we kind of understand that like we're not molding our kids, that we can't make them turn out the way that we want, that in fact, there may be some pain associated with them being quite different than what we expected or what we wanted, but that staring that gap down and accepting it is going to help us all be where we're supposed to be in the end of this. Yes, because those kids will look back as adults and know if you said, I love your drawings instead of saying, just go outside and play. Can't you be like your brother? Like That's one thing where this can come into play that we need to make sure we're not doing, which is to say that they should be more like the kids who are more like us. In other words, more like me. Why can't you just do this like I would have done it? That they can take that parental disapproval on. And uh, I have to be very careful with that with my kids sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this may just be my perception, but I feel like the pendulum has swung a bit from like great Santini days where like Mad Men era where everyone was like, drawings not for boys, put that away and go play a football. That like the pendulum has swung a little bit in the opposite direction to like, I am in charge of making sure that your whole life is fulfilled and that you always feel accepted and that I only tell you good job and I know not to tell you how to play football and that there is an illusion of control in that as well. That the control of like, I can make my kid turn out to be an accountant if I want to, but that kid actually grew up to be, you know, whatever, a ballet dancer. Football player. (laughs) That was an illusion of control. But I also think that like, I can foster any kid's interest perfectly and we can be completely simpatico and I will be perfect at this is also an illusion of control. You know, I talked to a a guy recently. He gave a presentation on helping your kid with their college applications. And this does relate. So stay with me. And I talked to him afterwards because I was so interested in what he was saying. I wanted to like talk to him about, you know, for the show, like having him on and what would you tell people? He's saying that if you want your kid to have a successful college application, that they have to have a passion project and that they have to start that early in their high school career and they have to become sort of a high school level expert at something really specific, whatever it is. That's how you get into a good school these days, not being really pretty good at everything. And so I was talking to him about the passion thing. And he's like, here's the thing, like this will completely backfire if your kid is like, yeah, I'm really passionate about like plastics in the oceans and removing them. Like the college admissions people, they can see that a mile 
away. Like it will be like the worst thing you could do to have your kid have a passion project that you assign them that sounds good that they think they're supposed to feel strongly about. He's like, this only works if the kid picks it. So start with what your kid loves and help them develop it. It has to come from within. It can't be imposed on them. Well, and also I would go another step further. Watch how much you help develop it. Support it. Be a support system in whatever way. But like, you're not on this boat with your kid. Like, you're not driving the boat. It's not like the kid's like, I'm going to start going this way. And then you jump and grab the wheel and you're like, you're right. Yeah, full speed ahead. Let's go. Like, you kind of like my nephew developed a gigantic passion when he was, I'm telling you, like five or six years old for World War II history, like rather odd, you know. But his parents, certainly, when they went to the library, would help him ask the librarian, would take him, like, when he was 11, his grandpa took him to Normandy to, like, see the beaches. Like, they certainly supported that interest, but they didn't play a huge role in it. The kid had a passion for it and pursued that passion. Even Simone Biles, who we've said, you know, she's not our touchstone. Her mom talks about the fact that, like, they lived in an apartment or something, and this girl was, like, doing backflips down the hallway, like, when she was four years old. And they were like, okay, I think we've got to, like, take her somewhere and, like, help this happen. Certainly, they drove the cars, they did this, but, like, I just think we really have to watch the story about how much you are involved in this as a parent, because I think what the colleges see coming is like your mom wanted you to build that orphanage in Guatemala. You didn't necessarily want to do that. Like, right. The colleges are seeing the parents at the wheel. It's like the today's version of like every boy has to play football is every girl has to code. I feel like like girls who code. Right. STEM. Don't you want to code? That's right. You love to code. Right. And my kids are like, I don't guess like not really. Yeah. And yeah, you want so much for them to have that because that's what's cool in 2020, particularly if you're a girl. In fact, like so many people of my generation, because I feel like we grew up and we were like, oh, we had to live up to expectations. And now all of my people are like, my kid's a weirdo. And it's like, okay, maybe they are an unusual child, but like, let them be who they are. Like, don't make them a weirdo because that's what you think is different than holding them to certain standards. Like, right. maybe your kid wants to be an accountant and you want them to like start an alternative ballet company. Like, it's just about taking your hands off the wheel, I think, more than it is about being like, with this correct phrase, you can make your kid turn out the right way. Just like it's not our job to fix the gap between us and our kids or make it smaller necessarily. It's not our job to help them get to anything. Okay, let me give you a quote because it's what you're saying, but it's in a psychotherapy kind of speak. Dr. Venota Jolie She's a psychotherapist, and she says a child needs a parent's unconditional acceptance to develop their autonomy. So I'm listening to what you're saying, like, right, they need our acceptance, and their goal is autonomy. They don't need our over-engineering to develop what we think they're supposed to be, even if it's different from us. Same from us, different from us. It's letting that develop in its own way. I guess that's true. Yeah, but even that I'm going to push back on a little bit. A child needs a parent's unconditional acceptance to develop their autonomy. Disagree. I think a child develops in the kiln in which they are raised and the idea that there is a way like children are forged in an environment. Children don't live in a vacuum, you know, and like some people, there is a certain amount of resistance that develops skills. You know, there is a certain amount of like 
Listen, I've made the joke before that like my kid, I'm like, you can go to gymnastics once a week. And if you're that's as good as you'll ever be at gymnastics. Like so that my point of view is pretty strong that like I don't want to be a parent driving you to gymnastics meets for five hours on the weekend. But is it possible that in the friction of that resistance that my child will be like, I have a gigantic passion for gymnastics and I'm going to drive this home to you to the point where you're going to end up driving me to meets five hours away? It is possible. You know, like, I think this idea that like there is an ideal environment in which things are created is incorrect. Well, like Simone Biles' mom drove her to meets because she couldn't not. She had no other choice. But what? But you're saying there is another choice. I don't think that I owe it to my child to give unconditional acceptance to their love of gymnastics. I don't believe that. I have three other kids. I have a life. I have a job. I have other things I want to do. I do not in any way believe that like my child who is quite a good gymnast and has a passion for it, that I need to immediately offer unconditional acceptance of that skill. Like, well, you accept the skill and but they're developing their autonomy. Like maybe if a kid really wants to do it, I'm thinking of somebody I knew who wanted me and my friend who's a theater director to tell her daughter that she couldn't be a professional dancer when she grew up because that wasn't practical and it wasn't a happy life. She was telling like a professional actor and a professional director, tell my daughter that she can't do this. And I was like, I'm staying out of this. Yeah. My friend had the right answer. She's like, I think that if you really, really want to do this, that there's nothing that's going to stop you and that you could love it. It would also be a hard life. And if you have a lot of reservations about that, then that's okay. But if you really, really want this, nothing will stop you. So it occurs to me, like, if your kid wants to be a gymnast, he's going to be like, well, you know, Bryce's mom says that I can go with him on Tuesdays. Like, your kid will develop their autonomy. Yeah. You can accept that he's, you're not not accepting that he's good at gymnastics. You're not not accepting that he isn't sitting still and instead of doing backflips in the backyard. You just, I think it's different to accept your kid for who they are than that I must, like, rewire our entire family structure to run every hobby to the max. I don't think that's what this is about. Yeah, I just really push back against the idea that the parent almost has this big a role in it. You know what I mean? All those Mad Men kids grew up to be like dancers and artists and, you know, club kids in New York City and all sorts of different kind of weirdos. Not because their parents gave them unconditional acceptance, because they were like forged in that kiln. And the idea that like there is a way to offer that unconditional acceptance is going to make everything okay. It's also going to go sideways on you in different ways. Like, I just think, yes, you have a role to be like, try to see your kid for who you are. Try to parent the kid you have. You just said try to see your kid for who you are, which is exactly like. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oops, Freudian slip. (laughs) But like, try to see your kid for who they are. Try to let them be who they are, but don't worry that much about what role you play in this. That's my point of view. I think that there's a useful takeaway for this. Like I said, it's easy when the way that your kid is different from you is shiny and wonderful and will be rewarded by the world. It's harder when the way that the kid is different from you is they're painfully shy or, you know, there's something that's going to make at least from where you're standing, make life a little harder for them. Or even as simple as what I was saying before, like you can't be disorganized. You can't not know where your paper is. You have to to stay on top of the stuff you'll never get through. But they do. And you have to, in those situations, like if you have a very shy child, see the get over yourself, get over projecting your own stuff onto that and see like my child is a keen observer right? My child is a really good listener, that there are positive things in that. My disorganized kid, it's like, wow, my kid can really keep track of a lot of things at once and has a brain that is 
clearly more higher functioning than mine because this child knows where everything is and doesn't need a system, just knows. So like, wow, that's a really, uh, really smart kid I have there instead of trying to increasingly clamp down on, but your life will be hard unless you use these folders. And it's like, that's why I like that Liesl L's example, Ernie L's wife who has this child with autism, like free yourself from the thing of like, I will set the perfect road and I will let this freedom and whatever it is, put us on the perfect path and realize that like your children are on paths that you can't even begin to understand. And that while you're helping them, guarding them, keeping them safe, feeding them, doing all your great mom things that like you're not really 100% in charge of how it turns out. And that the path that you're resisting in favor of the perfect path may be the right path for your kid, and it's not as scary Mm. as you think. It's not as scary as you think. You solved it. (laughs) There you go. Solved it, guys. Solved it. I love this topic. Please read Far From the Tree, and then if you want to call me and talk about it for nine hours, I am available for that. It'll take you like 18 months, but but you'll clear your schedule for, for 2022. Yeah, it'll take you a long time. So, but oh my gosh, I'm obsessed. So, so, so good. Life changing. We want to hear about how your kids are nothing like you. And there's a bunch of ways you can tell us. You can come. I'm going to start with something else this week. You can come to Instagram, Margaret. We are on Instagram. We have What Fresh Hellcast, and we love communicating with our listeners over stories and things like that. So come find us there. We are always on Facebook at What Fresh Hell Cast. Join our group and come to whatfreshhellpodcast.com and find all the cool research from this episode and lots of interesting links this week. And do us a favor, subscribe to the What Fresh Hell Podcast. If you're listening and you haven't yet subscribed, go and subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll keep up and make sure you get all of our episodes. It's called different things in different apps too. Like I noticed in Spotify, it's called follow. Basically, it just means we want you putting us in your phone or wherever you listen so that when there's a new episode, it shows up right away so you don't have to go looking for it. It's just there for you. Guys, for sure you should do that. For sure. Okay, guys, that's it for this week. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.